in terms of a scientific basis, there is not a sufficient evidence or, or support to put up new restrictions because China's current dominant variants were BA5.2 and BF7, which already basically receding in other countries. So uh, I'm not quite sure why some countries put out a new restriction on all the virus, which many of the people have been infected. Those countries, the ones that have put the restrictions on Chinese outbound travelers, are the same countries that were the very first lift the uh, restrictions for each other. So, you know, Canada, US, Australia, etc. Um, so, yes, the logic is obviously not the same. There's, it's being politicized. You know, all those countries are going into recession or are in recession. And a little bit of uh, a spike of spending from Chinese tourists and business people would be very, very healthy for their economies. Yeah, in terms of the expectation of uh, domestic tourism in China, it is uh, exceeded uh, my expectation. Initially, the countries and regions within Asia probably will benefit uh, significantly. Hong Kong and Macau, as two special administrative regions of China, certainly will be probably the biggest beneficiaries uh, in terms of uh, outbound tourism. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyuan. Joining our discussion on the outlook of China's tourism industry after the reopening of its borders are Dr. Haiyan Song, Mr. and Mrs. Chan Chak Fu, Professor in International Tourism, Associate Dean and Chair Professor, School of Hotel and Tourism Management. Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Professor Wu Jiwei, Director of the Center for Public Health Research, Nanjing University, and Dr. Digby James Run, Political Analyst, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center at the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hi, nice to be hello, everyone. So, China's reopening its borders, dropping its、uh, quarantine requirements for inbound travelers. Let me start off with、uh, Dr. Ren. I understand you've been hoping for this change. Have you made any plans to travel back to China in the coming months? Do you have any concerns about traveling to China? I was making plans to return to China the minute I left. So、um, that's been for you know almost three years now, but. Of course, I think I'll be in China next month, and、uh, you know that's being planned now. And、uh, of course, because the border openings and so forth. But concerns. I mean, I think where travelers are always concerned that they might be ill or they might have to, you know, undergo quarantine, for example, with COVID. But I don't think that anybody who has traveled during the last three years, and, and I think most people who have traveled, are really、uh, fully aware of, of the problems, and I think they're not too concerned. And everybody just takes normal precautions.、Uh, so you know, wearing, continue to wear a mask, and、uh, and be careful, and、uh, you know, don't just go to crowded places just because you want to. Yeah, indeed. I guess、uh, that's also what、uh, Professor Wu would also say. Not long ago, you said you were、um, planning a trip overseas. How's it going now? Well, I, I was, you know, planning to go to、uh, to Europe and、uh, and the States,、um, but actually, as the new restrictions uh, 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 proposed by those countries, basically, I have 
I have to hesitate and rethink about the uh, plan because uh, once you have a nuclear acid test and uh, have to submit a certain you know uh, reports in advance, that actually could complicate the issue and disrupt your schedules. So I think this is something actually. Uh, I think once China opens up and some other countries put uh, put up new restrictions, you have to rethink, uh, reschedule your your plan. That actually, I think, in a way, uh, hinders the international travel and the interactions as well. I think one of the primary goal of China lifting uh, its restriction on the. COVID-19 management uh, by downgrading from class A to class B is basically trying to encourage uh, um, inter-country interactions, cultural, social, and uh, and legal as well. So I definitely would uh, think that uh, this uh, some countries putting up new restrictions will have a certain impact. But I, I don't think it's uh, in terms of a scientific basis. There is uh, not a sufficient evidence or, or support to put up new restrictions because China's current dominant variants will be 5.2 and BF7, which already basically receding in other countries. And the dominant subvariant in European countries are uh, XBB 1.5. So uh, I'm not quite sure why some countries put out a new restriction on all the virus, which many of the people have been infected and have developed certain... Yeah, we'll talk a, l- a bit more about that uh, later on in the show. But uh, Professor Sun, do, do you have any imminent travel plans or is there anything mind-boggling when you travel abroad? I, I just uh, learned that you have been traveling you know, around quite often, actually, over the past three years, right? Yes, actually, my title is uh, a professor of international tourism, so I have to travel right. uh, not only to teach tourism but also practice tourism. That's so I have been traveling quite a, <laughs> quite a lot, and I've been in uh, Europe, a few countries in France, in Spain, in the UK, Italy. Uh, recently, I came back from Riyadh, uh, where Pro- uh, President Xi has visited, but I was before him. Uh, so I travel all these places, and uh, uh, it appeared to me that life in these countries has returned to normal a long time ago, and they do not even talk about COVID anymore. So it is actually uh, as normal as uh, as uh, you know pre-COVID. So in terms of travel to China, yes, I I was in China in October to teach uh, one of our doctoral program uh, in collaboration with Zhejiang University. I was there in a month, so I had to do COVID tests, PCR tests, almost every day. So that's uh, in October. But I'm planning to go back to China uh, after the Chinese New Year because my family, my friends and relatives are still in China. So I plan to go back to China. And I hope that after Chinese New Year, there will be no restrictions, no PCR tests. I can travel freely in China. Uh, So practice tourism. So when you say China, do you mean uh, China's mainland? Uh, You're currently in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, mainland China. Yeah, sorry. I I mean, uh, mainland. So uh, yes, uh, actually, many Chinese people like you and uh, Professor Wu are ready to spend their money overseas. But some have been told to put those plans on hold, um, at least for now, you know, um, countries like what uh, Professor Wu just mentioned, um, including the US, Canada, Italy, Australia, Spain, and Japan, you name it, have imposed restrictions on travelers from China. So how rational 
do such measures seem to you, Dr. Ren? Does such a move seem to any well, extent politicized to you? Of course. For example, I'm Australian, and the 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 head chief medical officer of Australia said that he thought the decision was pointless because um, there was no threat, no specific threat. Uh, there was no new variant with an increased pathogenicity uh, and or immune escape. And that just means basically that there's almost no threat. And, you know, having the, 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 your three interviewees today, they, you know, we've all traveled around over the last few years and, uh, you know, with very, very strict controls in a few countries. And those countries, the ones that have put the restrictions on Chinese outbound travelers are the same countries that were the very first to lift lift the uh, restrictions for for each other. So, you know, Canada, US, Australia, etc. Um, so, yes, the logic is obviously not the same. There's, it's being politicized. I can't really see, uh, you know, the complete logic of that other than it's some kind of some kind of strange spite um, because you know all those countries are going into recession or are in recession uh, and a little bit of uh, a spike of spending from Chinese tourists and business people would be very very healthy for their economies and uh, I think that would uh, you know make sense for them but uh, they're going to hold off for a little while but I, I think the logic is there eventually that this can only be temporary. Yes, indeed, I totally agree. Um, if the requirement applies to all inbound travelers, it's it's quite reasonable, you know, for for travelers from China to abide by it. But if only applies to travelers from China, it's a different story. Such requirements have been, you know, actually frowned upon. Yeah, there's tit for tat here. I think you know, mm. you know, the China was quite quick to sort of stop inbound travelers from the United States, you know, a few years ago, and. Um, you know, I think there might be some tit for tat in here, but there's no scientific logic and there's no economic logic that kind of holds water. So I, I think this can't, you know, it's very temporary and, uh, you know, they're just trying to make a bit of political ground out of it. But, you uh, know, it won't last very long at all. And especially in Southeast Asia, I think people in Southeast Asia are really looking forward to having Chinese tourists and business people return as quickly as possible. Indeed. Actually, we've seen uh, the European branch of the International Airports Council calling the restrictions on travelers from China um, scientifically unjustified. So, Professor Song, to what extent was the council economically motivated or is it just purely economically motivated? Well, I think economic play a very economics play a very important role in uh, in these decisions. I think, uh, as uh, Dr. Wen said earlier, uh, many countries actually are longing for the Chinese tourists to return uh, because it contribute uh, uh, significantly to the economy of those destinations, especially within Asia Pacific. Um, so uh, I guess uh, economics play a role, but I would like to return to the point of uh, rationality of these uh, COVID restrictions. Sure. I think it is, uh, uh, it's not rational. I think it is, uh, there's no uh, scientific uh, base uh, of these uh, restrictions. Uh, so I think, uh, uh, you know, if we place such restriction on any tourist to any country's destinations, I think it is uh, unjustified. But on the other hand, as an economist, I'm trying to uh, think uh, things uh, uh, in uh, uh, rationally in different ways. 
Uh, I think the reason why some of the countries actually impose restrictions is because China still has restrictions to uh, foreign travelers to China, right? So the the uh, actually China has not uh, started uh, to issue tourist visa yet. So I think uh, I think this uh, uh, arrangement is temporary, and it will be lifted uh, uh, both ways uh, bilaterally uh, very soon, uh, because. A science will prevail in terms of uh, whether any restrictions is uh, rational or not. I think it's uh, fair to say that uh, uh, we don't want, as a tourism academics and tourist professionals, I don't want to see those unproven concerns and restrictions on tourists from any country to any destinations. Yeah, actually, starting this、um, weekend,、uh, things will change. And、um, also, we've seen an- another institute, which is、um, the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control, calling the introduction of such、uh, mandatory screenings of travelers from China unjustified. It,、uh, it cited the prior emergence and subsequent replacement of variants. Currently circulating in China as a reason. So,、uh, Professor, you previously mentioned some facts about the variants, how they, you know, are similar to each other. But can you elaborate or explain a little bit further? What does uh, uh, the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control mean by saying that? If you look at the Current、uh, major variant、uh, circulating in the West, the、uh, so-called、uh, um, XBB 1.5. This virus is a combination of、uh, two different viruses: the BJ and also the、uh, BA combination. So that's why it's called XBB. And both the earlier BJ and、uh, BA derive from BA. BA five, uh, BA two variants. So basically, they are coming from the same major family, and during the the transmission, they evolved and and change some sequences and develop new、uh, sub variants. So the issue is that uh, the first uh, uh, XBB was identified in the、uh, in this year's August in India, and then spreading into the U.S. first, and basically taking hold in the U.S. right now. Uh, by end of last year, about forty percent of U.S. population were infected by this virus. But in China, XBB was still identified quite sporadically, very few cases.、Uh, the major dominant variant is still called BA.5.2 and BF.7. Those two variants, which I just mentioned in earlier talk. Is that they already been circulating in the West for quite a time, and many people became infected, develop certain immunity. So basically, said that China's current dominant variant were lagging behind in a major industrialized country like in Europe and the U.S. and Canada. So in terms of the、uh, the variant imposed in the,、uh, to, uh, uh, the threat to the public health. Uh, the current Chinese population, if the people who are going to、uh, other countries, they actually pose less danger to the local population for a number of reasons. One is that they are likely that they are virus, even they do have, are likely to be BA.5.2 and BF.7. Even when they have XBB, then you know、um, it's a、uh, 
Firstly, it's a very low frequency, and second is that the XBB is the major circulating virus in the West. So I don't think that there is a very strong scientific reason and the base for imposing this restriction. And in the sense that uh, um, the clinical data coming back from the U.S. and other countries indicating that although the XBB 1.5 variant is much more contagious, but it's not um, um, more serious in disease cause, uh, causing. In the clinic, it's uh, quite clear that it's no worse than the previous sub-variant. So uh, from this and that, you know, the new variant, even it's taking hold in China, it will not be more dangerous than the previous. So you're saying that um, the restrictions imposed by those countries are actually unnecessary, but they do have introduce uh, such kind of uh, mandatory screenings. So um, I'm wondering to what extent such restrictions will dampen the eagerness for, you know, outbound trips by travelers from China. And um, Professor Song, or do you think people's enthusiasm won't be affected at all? Yeah, this is actually a good uh, question. I think uh, it may be affected to some extent, but if people uh, do want to travel, they will. And also uh, remember, China has been closed to outside the world for you know almost three years in terms of international travel, and there is a suppressed demand exists in China. So once the border is open, although there may be uh, some sort of uh, uh, control, like a PCR test 48 hours before departure, and people will do it. Uh, remember, China has been uh, doing PCR tests for three years, uh, you know, people doing uh, these PCR tests almost all the time. So if they want to travel uh, internationally, I think they will travel, uh, although there's some small uh, inconvenience, and uh, I guess the demand will uh, increase significantly in terms of internet travel over the next year or so. So, uh, yes, there's some inconvenience, some um, probably, uh, you know, small uh, negative influence, but, yeah, people will travel. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. You're listening to The Chat Lounge, and we are talking about the outlook of China's tourism industry after the reopening of its borders. We've already have a lot of reports on travelers from China going out for holidays uh, prior to the New Year's Eve. And uh, according to uh, Trip.com Group, actually within half an hour of China's announced policy change, searches for travel abroad surged to a three-year high. And Japan, Thailand, South Korea, the the United States, Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, and the UK made the list of top 10 destinations outside the mainland with the fastest growing search volume. And Macau and Hong Kong obviously also made the list. And we've already seen travelers from China arriving in groups in countries like uh, Italy and Japan, South Korea. Dr. Ren, have you noticed... Any increase in the number of Chinese travelers in Cambodia? You know, the country is quite popular, a tourist destination among Chinese. Well, not yet. Uh, but what I can tell you is that everybody's getting ready for it um, and in, in a big way. And I've been involved in some studies recently uh, in relation to this, the being prepared or getting prepared for Chinese travel in Southeast Asia. And 
well, I suppose one of the first things you, you, you can see is that there is a huge, massive airline airport building program going on. Uh, Vietnam is upgrading th- three or four airports. Uh, Cambodia is upgrading three airports and opening two brand new airports this year. Thailand is upgrading an airport and has a new airport, so forth and so on. So they're obviously getting ready for the influx um, and looking forward to, you know, a very bright future uh, with Chinese tourism. Um, But they're also uh, beginning to start uh, preparing marketing campaigns and uh, communications campaigns. And they've also reconsidered how they are going to message and talk to Chinese tourists. And so that's very interesting. Uh, So there's sort of three circles. Um, You know, there's obviously uh, expanded domestic tourism in all of these countries, including China, of course. Uh, Every friend I've got has been on a holiday to Hainan. But but then there's the the regional circuit. And traditionally, the Chinese have been very, very focused on that regional circuit, you know, so not too, too far within, you know, so Japan, Indonesia, Australia, et cetera, is not too, too far. And even though there were large numbers going to Europe and the U.S., they were far, far greater in the, in the regional areas. And I think that's going to continue, in a, and, um, and especially in Southeast Asia. And I don't think there's any real reticence in China. All the Chinese friends that I have, I've spoken to, they're all so keen to get to do something. But I think they really don't want to go too far the first time, um, mm. sort of, you know, toe in the water kind of thing. Um, but, but everybody's getting prepared for them, and, and, uh, and, and that's a good thing. Right. And um, which country do you expect to be, you know, the top beneficiary from this? Um, There's different groups as well. I mean, obviously, business travelers are going to be very quick off the mark because they haven't been able to, some have, but very few have. And they're going to want to get reconnect with their business business partners and, and, and so forth. And that's going to be global. And it's also going to follow, you know, the biggest the biggest trade partners of China, and that's really global. You know, the 100, 120 countries. So you're going to see an uptick everywhere in that that regard. Um, but then there's also academic. Uh, you know, a huge number of students. You know, you remember that the UK, Australia, uh, and the US have really very large numbers of students. Uh, you know, over the last decade or so or more. And that's going to there's many many students who want to re you know re, reboot their studies or start their studies, or revisit their studies. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of that, uh, especially in the UK and Australia. Uh, and because, uh, because it's winter, in, uh, and, you know, in the school year for those countries starts in after the late January, February. So they're not too worried about that influx yet, and I think they want to get all their systems organized, and uh, that's quite complicated, I think, after this long break. So you can see that administratively, they're buying a little bit of time as well, I think. Uh, when I say they, I mean uh, universities, government, immigration, customs, etc. They're trying to buy a little bit of time to get ready because I think there will be a, a large flow uh, into all these countries um, uh, sooner rather than later. Mm. And uh, Professor Song... Can I jump in from yeah, here? Yeah, sure. I was about to ask you. Okay. I think uh, initially, uh, as uh, Dr. Ren said, uh, the countries and regions within Asia probably will benefit uh, significantly. Hong Kong and Macau as two administrative, uh, special administrative region of China certainly will be probably the biggest uh, beneficiaries uh, in terms of uh, Chinese outbound tourists because uh, I think uh, in the past, pre-COVID-19, 70% of uh, uh, Chinese 
uh, international travelers from mainland actually uh, came to Hong Kong, Macau, uh, maybe, and also uh, other countries like uh, Korea, Japan. So I think the major countries that will benefit the immediate opening up of uh, China's border will be the countries within uh, Asia Pacific. For long haul destinations like uh, United States and European countries, they probably will uh, gradually see more Chinese tourists visiting them for uh, two reasons. One, uh, the traveling costs and also the cost of leaving in uh, United States and Europe is very high and therefore traveling to these countries can be very expensive, not alone actually uh, worrying about possible COVID uh, infections. And the second reason is that uh, uh, over the last three years, the Chinese economy, although continue to grow, the growth rate is uh, quite uh, slow. Therefore, the income level of Chinese residents probably is not as high as before. So we know uh, international travel are influenced by two key economic factors. One is the price and the cost. Uh, second is the income level of Chinese tourists. So uh, combining these two factors, I think uh, long-haul travel will gradually probably increase, but for the short-haul travels uh, within Asia, uh, you will see a sudden surge of Chinese tourists to these countries and regions over the next uh, few months. Mm. And uh, now let's move on to inbound tourism. Then, Professor Song, do you expect a big surge um of uh, inbound tourism in China in the first quarter? No, actually, uh, uh, I would not uh, see a huge increase of leisure travelers uh, to China uh, within the first quarter, uh, simply because China has not started uh, uh, issue uh, tourist visa yet, although some people probably already hold a 10-year visa uh, to China, uh, but then they mostly are long-haul uh, source market. Uh, so I would expect in the first quarter, the main increase will come from overseas Chinese who has some sort of permit of returning to China, uh, like a Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan return permit. Uh, holders, because you know they have not been able to visit China, visit their relative for uh, quite a few years. I think they probably are the first wave of tourists to China. We call it uh, uh, VFR, visiting friend, uh, relative uh, tourists. Uh, the second group, actually, Dr. Wen already mentioned, is the business travelers. I know in Hong Kong, a lot of uh, uh, business people. They had, have not been able to travel as frequently as they wished, and this actually affected their business. So they probably will return to mainland quite often because they hold work permit. And then in the second quarter, uh, you will gradually see international travels to China once uh, China has started to issue tourist visas for these countries. And also maybe stop uh, 40, 48 hours uh, pre-departure PCR tests. And the, all these things probably will start from the second quarter instead of the first quarter. I, I totally understand what you just said. Some um, people from outside China, they got hesitant before <laughs> entering this country. Actually, some of my friends, they're saying that they really wanted to come back, but they would uh, put it off a little bit because of the COVID situation uh, right now in China. So 
Uh, Professor Wu, I understand you've already pointed out uh, there is no reason uh, to worry about that because the main strains of COVID have been seen in other countries already. Obviously, you don't think their their concern is warranted, but <laughs> how would you persuade them to believe it? They are also very well educated, but why they they have this concern? Uh, I think you know um, there are a couple of reasons. One is that, uh, uh, of course, as uh, Dr. Ren just mentioned, could be some political element. But uh, what I'm not going to talk about this. But uh, there is a possibility that uh, when they are making this decision, there is a consideration because uh, in the last uh, September and October, I was in Europe, in in Britain and in Germany. So basically, I did not wear face mask, and for more than two weeks, basically, when I came back, I was negative. What that suggests is that uh, the virus circulating on the societal level was very low because most people probably already being infected or received the vaccination, and this, in a way, blocks the virus from circulating efficiently. Okay, so from the public health perspective. When China is opening up and a large number of tourists came in, and if the tourists, many of the tourists are basically infected by the virus, okay, then basically you do have a seeding population which potentially could disseminate in a population that you do have a very low virus circulation and then starting a, a viral. Uh, surge. So this is uh, just uh, uh, one of the uh, assumptions that I'm uh, speculating why they make such uh, a decision. Mm. But this is uh, basically not warranted. Uh, first, the, the XBB 1.5 has been circulating in the industrialized country and reached a large proportion of, of the population. And you don't see uh, severe diseases coming out of this infection. And the second is that the uh, vaccination rates are very high. You don't have to worry specifically about this particular variant. Then, what about people here in China?、Um, I think you just mentioned the Chinese people here. They don't have to worry about this、uh, subvariant of、um, Omicron XBB either. But people seem to be very cautious. Because it it's really more infectious and、um, better at ev- evading immunity, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I think there are、uh, a number of reasons.、Uh, one is that、um, we haven't really done a good job in educating the public about the virus. And if you log on to the internet, and there are a lot of misinformation, rumors, and all sorts of things basically circulating in the virtual community.、Uh, the second is that once we're opening up. A quite a sudden move. So many people, including hospitals, community individuals, were just caught off guard. Became so anxious and you know about this this infection, and particularly in early stage, that when people are infected, they found that okay, the the pharmacies or the medicines were out of stock. Some people actually just overreact and did a so-called panic purchase. But now. As the opening up almost a month, the situation is much much better. Like people in my institute in the medical school, almost a hundred percent people already been infected. So the the first wave of this infection is almost done, and basically, what the people realize, you do have symptoms, but it, the severe 
uh, symptoms are very rare. The only thing you need to do is you need to take care of elderly people and the people with uh, uh, underlying medical conditions. So now we we know gradually that whether we should focus on whether we should not you know worry too much. Then what other you know supplement uh, policies do we need to further relieve people's concerns? I think this is a, a key issue in the new policy. You know the class B and the class B management uh, policy. Uh, what we need to do is we need to focus our uh, medical resources on uh, the needy individuals, uh, such as the elderly people who are you know over eighty years old without vaccination, and the people with underlying medical condition. This is uh, something we 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 need to desperately uh, uh, do it. Uh, such as the hospital should stock up the uh, the therapeutic medicines to encourage elderly people to take the vaccination, and also I think we should mobilize the community. Okay, uh, do a better so-called community data build-up because our community is a very effective organization. They know exactly within that community who is under what kind of medical conditions, uh, who are elderly living alone. So those are the information actually the community could do, and disseminate the information, let the people understand what the disease is. Once they catch the virus, what they need to deal with, and then you could focus. Prioritize your resources and dealing with the the sickness, same people's life. I think this is basically uh, you need a northern, you know, uh, the government, administration, community, individual. It, it's basically the overall coordination and cooperation. Then we could deal with the the epidemic. Professor Wu, do you expect any? Backtracking on previous COVID prevention and control measures,、uh, which is actually what some Chinese people are are calling for right now. Well, you know, it, it's hard to see backtracking because、uh, the viruses are different, and、uh, the vaccination,、uh, ongoing vaccination, is also changing the the landscape of、uh, of the individual in the country. Um, in terms of infection and developing severe diseases, but I think you know、uh, what is important is that we need to realize that we are likely to live with a virus. This is going to be a long battle. If we have to live with a virus, then the prevention and intervention approach should be designed with a more humane consideration. Uh, because for short term, you can put up very strict uh, uh, measures in dealing with the、uh, the virus, preventing it from spreading. For, but for the long term, you have consider the societal or psychological impact. So those are the important lessons we learned in the past three years that we need to come back to to the essence of the public health in dealing with a、uh, pandemic or epidemic. That people could coordinate, people could you know cooperate. So if we reach that, then we could deal with it in a more efficient way. And now, yeah, I probably、uh, sure. also jump in from here.、Right. I think in addition to、uh, the public policy that we、uh, we should rely on in terms of、uh, control the virus, I think from the industry perspective, the industry also can help in terms of preventing. Uh, the problems by、uh, introducing new product, new services such as contactless product and services. 
and also better logistics in terms of uh, crowd control, uh, in especially in tourist uh, attractions and crowded areas, uh, and also provide you know safety and uh, hygiene uh, product and services more effectively to tourists. I think is there's a, a collaboration between the private sectors and the government. Uh, which will probably reduce uh, the worrying and the concerns of the tourists who uh, travel to China uh, and, uh, in fact, to every other destinations. Indeed, That's very good advice, and uh, that needs to be uh, that needs to be followed everywhere, not just in China, but everywhere. But uh, it needs government, state direction to make that happen. And I think it is happening in China, but I don't need don't necessarily believe that that is going to happen in other localities. The chat lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And、uh, talking about the、um, measures to attract、uh, tourists, I think domestic、uh, business operators they've been doing a lot in this regard.、Uh, prior to the New Year's Day holiday, many scenic spots were were fully booked in advance. And、uh, I don't know,、uh, Doctor, and if you. Noticed,、uh, it's reported in Sanyang. I'm sure、uh, you've visited that、uh, place,、uh, China's most popular beach resort, right? Yeah. yeah. A hotel actually saw its villas priced、yeah. at a hundred and twenty thousand yuan, or some、uh, over seventeen thousand U.S. dollars per night, and luxury rooms priced at eighty thousand yuan per night, and double rooms of seven thousand to eight thousand、uh, per night, fully booked. Some even for one month. From your perspective, is it something like a revenge travel? What's going on? Does that surprise you at all? <laughs> revenge travel? <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me, and、uh, I'm pretty sure that、um, the、uh, tourism authorities and the the、um, hospitality industry people were very happy to get all of that publicity, and and hopefully sell even more tickets and rooms. And and of course it is. It's a wonderful lo- locality, and it's improved enormously over the past decade. And uh, uh, but I, I think one of the very interesting things that's happened、uh, has been the rise of other kind of select groups. You know, solo travelers,、uh, young groups,、uh, hiking activities, farm visits, and everything else that had been promoted previously, but、um, really started to take off in the last twelve months or even two years. Um, and I think now that people have a taste for that、uh, in China and in other places, that's what you see.、Uh, that's what I see here in Cambodia, for example, is the tourism authorities are thinking about, oh yes, can we provide those sorts of services to Chinese tourists and to other tourists? And I think that's going to be a segmentation in in the tourism industry. And、uh, older people are going to be worried more about their health. They're going to be cautious about health, and so. Tourism destinations are going to be saying, "Okay, well, we're a very healthy destination, you know, very, very clean and、uh, very comfortable, and and uh, medical services, uh, pharmaceutical service, services available everywhere, you know,、uh, disability access, and all those kinds of things. Those are going to be moved up、uh, the level of importance for providers of hospitality."、Uh, not just in China, but everywhere in the world、uh, where the Chinese visit.、Um, but I, I, I'm going to go back just quickly to another element here, and that is that the, you know, the U.S. and、uh, Europe are heading into recession, and the U.K. is、uh, contracting. You know, con- their economy is contracted two percent. So this kind of domestic tourism boost、uh, might also, you know, affect inbound tourism to China because there will be less. 
money for those people to be able to spend on travel. And I'm not sure that um, that there's going to be, you know, there'll be a wave of people who want to go and who have been planning to go and who need to go. That's sure. And there's always those who just want to go. But I, I think that there might be, a, these numbers won't reach the peaks that there were, you know, uh, a few years ago. But um, I think China is going to start receiving inbound tourists from other destinations, more from Africa, from South America, from Western Asia, um, places where it's got connections uh, with the Belt and Road, for example. And that's also another possibility for health. Uh, you know, a health Belt and Road, that's, that, that can also be promoted very, very well. But the, and then the last thing I'd like to say is, is uh, in relation to information, that, you know, there's been a lot of negative information about China in the world, and um, especially in Anglo-American media, and that might give some people pause uh, and have reticence. And, uh, but I, I think that um, the Chinese authorities are going to have to be very quick to, to show that traveling around China is really achieved very easily, it's fast, it's cheap, it's good, uh, the sort of magic triangle and that uh, they, they're going to need to work on that to meet foreign caution, if you like, about visiting China. And the sooner they do it, the better. Professor Song, what's your observation there about China's domestic travel? Yeah, in terms of the expectation of uh, domestic tourism in China, it is uh, exceeded my expectation because it has been... Um, low in terms of demand over the last two or three years. Suddenly you will have uh, uh, this uh, sudden increase of tourists uh, to a certain area uh, within China. That's a very good thing. And I think that's what spread to uh, other uh, uh, you know, uh, provinces and cities in the next few and next few months, especially after uh, the Chinese New Year, when you know things uh, settle down and the infection level um, uh, is sta uh, stabilized, you will see a lot of people traveling within China. So, in terms of uh, uh, which countries uh, will be the major source market for China inbound tourism, I think again uh, probably uh, uh, these countries are from uh, Asia, mostly from Asia. Uh, and also, uh, Dr. Wen mentioned from uh, Latin America and also um, Middle East, uh, maybe, as uh, another uh, major source market, India, uh, for example, Russia. And these are the countries and regions where you will see uh, perhaps more tourists uh, visiting China earlier than uh, European America source market. Don't forget Hong Kong, actually. Hong Kong, pre-COVID, every year there are 70 million tourists from Hong Kong visiting mainland, right? Uh, remember, Hong Kong only have 7 million, which means every person in Hong Kong visits China mainland 10 times per year. So the main source market for mainland will be Hong Kong, Macau, also from Taiwan, and Singapore uh, and these countries and regions, uh, I think these are the first group of tourists who were uh, visiting China. Then, as Dr. Wynn said, the economic situation in Europe and America has been very bad, right? So the income level of these uh, countries' residents would uh, not uh, probably allow them to make long-haul travel to China. 
But when the economy situation improves in this country, in the long run, you will say perhaps in the long run, the, the tourists uh, were likely to return, although the mainstream media has, pay, has uh, put a very negative picture on China for quite a long time. But this actually will succeed uh, in the long run, in my view, when China is doing well in all uh, areas, including the economy and tourism, you know, technology, and also even public relations. Mm. Something imminent is the upcoming travel peak during the Spring Festival holiday, um, during which COVID cases are expected to, to peak in rural areas, as many migrant workers uh, travel back home. So, Professor Sun, first, please. Do you expect China's new COVID policies ensure the tourism sector together with other sectors, continues to recover without being interrupted by new waves of COVID, uh, which actually come every three to four months, as we've seen overseas. Yeah, I think uh, China can withstand uh, all these possible uh, new waves of COVID, according to the experience that uh, we have seen in other parts of the world, right? So once you opened up, the mobility uh, started to become uh, normal, i.e. tourists uh, start to travel, and you will see uh, certain uh, waves or small waves of these uh, uh, COVID um, uh, cases uh, in certain areas in certain time of the year. And that actually will not uh, exceed the tolerant level. If you see Hong Kong, for example, last uh, year in early, I think, uh, February, uh, January, February, March, there's sudden uh, increase. I think it is about 90,000 per day. And then after one week, uh, one or two or three weeks, and the the, the number actually stabilized in uh, below 1,000. Now actually uh, stay in that level for a long time. And uh, so, yes, the Chinese New Year migration will probably cause another wave of infection in the rural area, but that is going to happen anyway, sooner or later, right? So when people realize everybody will get it uh, in, you know, anyway, so people actually will probably uh, will be more confident when they travel. And, uh, you know, once everybody got infected, not everybody, most people get infected, they built uh, immune system, I don't know whether Professor Wu will agree or not, antibody, and they probably will be safer uh, in terms of uh, further tra uh, travels. So I think, yes, uh, initially we'll say the surge of COVID uh, infections, which may have some uh, influence, but, uh, you know, in the long run, this will stabilize. Professor Wu, what's your take? Uh, do you think the authorities are ready for that? Can China stand the test? Uh, yeah, yes. I think, you know, um, although in the first month of the opening up, it was a little bit of chaotic. Pharmacies were run, running out of drugstore. Hospitals were not ready to treat so many elderly people. And as you started with, uh, uh, overwhelmed by by incoming patients. But uh, now you can see that the situation is, uh, is easing. And uh, medicines, uh, therapeutic medicines, were uh, ready available uh, to treat patients. Uh, I think the key is that um, as we downgrade uh, uh, of the COVID-19 from class A to class B management, the entire society have to readjust 
they are dealing the uh, not only in in the policy but also in the procedure in dealing with the COVID nineteen infections. So as we uh, look at the uh, across the country, uh, in the hospital healthcare system, it's very clear that many of the hospitals are increasing the number of uh, hospital wall uh, beds and RCU uh, preparedness, and also the trained personnel in dealing with the the disease. I think this is uh, critical. Uh, the hospital will be able to absorb the incoming patient, particularly those elderly patients with uh, many of the underlying medical uh, complications. The other thing, as I traveled the last week to northern part of China and in other cities, I, re- I can see that the, in the pharmacies, uh, the medicines which were missing in the early days of the opening up, now you can easily purchase, uh, such as the fever medicines, medicines for clearing the mucus, thermometers, the face mask, and uh, also the a blood oxygen saturation device. Uh, you now you can get it. I think as as people can access to the medical drugs in the pharmacies, then they probably won't go when they have uh, uh, minor symptoms. They will not go into a hospital. So, so, so that will release the hospital from the enormous pressure. So if this is uh, what's going on, then uh, we will be able to deal with. Uh, the outburst of the new infection. The other thing is that I always you know, um, advise people to use their common sense, to practice the good habit which we developed during the uh, three-year COVID-19, uh, such as you know, washing your hands, avoid unnecessary gathering in, in a large uh, crowds, and also uh, wear your face mask. The important is uh, not about you know uh, avoid being infected because it's likely that everybody will be infected. The important issue here is that by doing this, you will uh, stretch out the infection and flatten down the curve. By doing this, it helps deal with the income patient because you don't want you know all of a sudden in a very short time enormous number of patients flood into the hospital and overwhelm the healthcare system. Indeed, a very good advice. And uh, Dr. Ren, we started this uh, session with you and we end this uh, session with you. As someone who's going to return to China in a couple of weeks, do you have any advice for for those who still remain cold-feeded right now before they enter the country? Do you have any advice for them? Well, first of all, I was going to suggest they should all listen to this uh, chat hour so that they could get a lot of useful information <laughs> from Professor Song and Professor Wu. That would be the best place to start. But no, the, 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 the first thing, of course, is to, is to have a reliable source of information. And I think the Chinese government needs to, to, to be very uh, aware of that and, and provide lots and lots of information as to what's going on in China. And, and so far, so good. And there was an excellent interview with the, um, the head of the Bureau of Medical Administration uh, and the vice president of uh, Beijing uh, Chaoyang Hospital, I think it was. Um, and these are, you know, two really top guys in China, and they gave a really extensive interview uh, about how uh, China's been managing COVID uh, since the beginning of the year and how they're going to keep doing that. And, uh, and I think that um, most people who want to go to China and have already been there, 
they have a very good idea of how well things are organized in China. And uh, I, I will, for one, will be telling all my friends that. Um, but yeah, I look, uh, just always, as, the, as my two colleagues have said, it, one needs to be always very, very careful, remain cautious, not uh, it's to your benefit. But um, look, I think that uh, over the, it's taken three years to get to here you know, since COVID started, if you like. And it's going to take three years to get back to complete new normal <laughs> or, or the post-new normal or whatever it's going to be called. So, uh, you know, one can't be too, um, you know, excited. And I, I think I'm going to call this the, the, the end of health uh, innocence, you know, where every, you've got basically, you know, a whole society, a global society who have grown up with, a, you know, very severe health issue, pandemic, uh, everybody knows about it, or almost all people know about it, uh, and, and I think there's an increased awareness, and, you know, for example, I still see people in Australia and here in Southeast Asia wearing masks if they just have a cold, which they never used to do before, um, and that, that had been done in China for many years, um, and I think that that's a new awareness, and so people are going to be more aware and more careful. Supply chains have been adjusted um, uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, for vaccines, etc. Airlines need to have testing kits in, you know, they give you a toothbrush and toothpaste. Why don't they give you a testing kit? Those sorts of things. And, and, and as the, my colleague said, you know, it's changing the way hospitality is going to be presented as well. Uh, I think that's a, a positive out of this. And, but yes, it's not going to, I don't think there's any specific real short-term problems, but, the, but over, it's going to take longer for everything to go back to post-normal, if you like. Mm. Um, and I'm looking very much forward to that. And when I'm in, I'm going to be traveling as widely as possible. So you, you won't hesitate for a second at all? I will not hesitate. And, um, th and that's because, you know, I've spent so much time in China and I know how Chinese people are very serious and, uh, and they take health particularly as something that must be looked after very carefully. And, uh, and uh, I know that, uh, I, you know, I feel very, very safe when I'm in China and much, much safer than when I'm in other countries that I don't want to mention. But uh, no, that's the, my message is that you, you be looked after and you will feel very, very safe in China. There's no doubt about that. All right, thanks for your uh, trust in uh, this country. And uh, we also look forward to every sector getting back on track at an early date. And on that note, we conclude today's chat. Many thanks to Professor Wu Jiwei, Director of the Center for Public Health Research, Nanjing University, Dr. Dickby James Ren, Political Analyst, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center at the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia. And last but not least, Dr. Hai Yansong, Mr. and Mrs. Chang Chat Fu Professor in International Tourism, Associate Dean and Chair Professor, School of Hotel and Tourism Management, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Please feel free to leave a review or a comment for us and subscribe to the Chat Lounge wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. See you next week. Mm -hmm.